May 18th, 2008. A gunshot rings through the town of Pinecrest, Florida. In a bathroom, 25-year-old Jonathan James found dead. The police would later reveal the cause of death to be a suicide through gunshot. Next to his body, a piece of paper. A suicide note. I do not believe in our justice system. Perhaps my actions today and this letter will be a serious signal to the public, but I have lost control of the situation, and this is my only way to fix it. To be honest, I have nothing to do with this whole TJX story. Even though Chris and Albert Gonzalez are the most dangerous and destructive hackers the feds have ever caught, I am far more seductive to the public opinion than these two random idiots. That is life. Remember, it is not that you win or lose, but that I personally win or lose by being in prison for 20, 10, or even 5 years for a crime that I didn't commit. This is my way of winning, but at least I'll die free. Welcome, listeners. This is the Simple Security Podcast, Security Stories Simplified. I'm your host, Alex, computer science student at GSU. And I'm Lily, co-host and CS student at GSU. Welcome to the first episode of the podcast, where you'll learn about security through storytelling. In today's episode, we'll discuss Jonathan James, the first minor to ever be convicted of a cybercrime in the United States after gaining access to both NASA and the Department of Defense. The story of Jonathan James begins on December 12, 1983, in the small town of Pinecrest, Florida. He found an interest in computers at the age of six, influenced by his father's job as a programmer. Through his father's computer, Jonathan got into gaming to the point of poor academic performance, which led his father to place parental controls, only for Jonathan to bypass them again and again. This ignited a desire for control and power within Jonathan, which Jonathan would make reference to in a Frontline interview. What is it about the computer that makes it become such an obsession for young guys? Well, it's power at your fingertips. You control all these computers from the government, from the military, from large corporations. And if you know what you're doing, you can travel through the internet at your will. With no restrictions. That's power. It's a power trip. He would move on to programming, learning how to code in C a general-purpose programming language developed in the 1970s, then getting into experimenting with the operating system Linux. He would change his father's Windows machine into a Linux machine. At first innocent, but with a mindset like Jonathan's, it would only evolve. Jonathan's curiosity and obsessions with computers only grew. This sense of power and control influenced Jonathan to rebel against the pressure of his parents from his poor grades along with extensive computer usage. He started hacking the school system in order to change his grades, this being the first step that would lead Jonathan to eventually hack the government. Around this time, Jonathan would frequent various hacking forums, adopting the name Comrade. Eventually finding himself bored of electronic gradebooks, Jonathan would seek a bigger target, finding a vulnerability in AT&T Bell South. Thus, in 1999, under the alias Comrade, he would hack into the company's server, though he claimed no damages were done to the server, a fact later verified by the company. It would later be admitted by the representatives of AT&T Bell South that the engineers were not aware of the hack until Jonathan's confession after the arrest. The details of the AT&T Bell South hack are murky and non-existent. 
Much of Jonathan's confession has never been revealed to the public by government agencies, nor has AT&T Bell South ever provided information on the breach. Jonathan wouldn't stop at AT&T Bell South or electronic grade books. His success with the hack would push Jonathan to challenge himself more, thus leading to the discovery of a vulnerable server in Huntsville, Alabama. How hard was it for you to get into some blue chip locations? The government didn't take too many measures for security on most of their computers. They lack some serious computer security, and the hard part is learning it. I know Unix and C like the back of my hand because I studied all these books, and I was on the computer for so long. But the hard part isn't getting in. It's learning to know what it is that you're doing. Inspired by his success with the AT&T Bell South attack, Jonathan decided to find another target for his exploits. On June 29, 1999, Jonathan would discover a vulnerable server located in Huntsville, Alabama, a system that would turn out to be part of NASA, the Marshall Space Flight Center. The details of the hack are murky, considering Jonathan's age, the year, and the lack of information provided by governmental agencies. But Jonathan did gain access to the system through that server. A theory suggests that Jonathan would use a privilege escalation attack to gain root access to 13 other computers on the NASA Marshall Space Center. A privilege escalation attack, like the name implies, is an attack method that allows a hacker to escalate their level of access on a server in order to gain access to certain files that are locked behind specific groups, make system changes, or install applications. In Linux, it is typically done through the sudo, or super user do command. The sudo command allows any user on a Linux system to run a command as if the administrator was running it. On Linux, attackers would initially gain access to a limited or full command terminal of a basic or system account with limited privileges. Once inside, attackers would perform enumeration, or the extraction of information about a system including, but not limited, to usernames, group names, host names, and etc. Specifically, the path to elevated access to the root user. To be successful, an attacker has various strategies in order to escalate their privileges. Vertical privilege escalation. This method is only employed when the attacker wants to utilize the account they gained access to perform actions. So instead of seeking other accounts, the attacker will elevate the privilege of the compromised account, usually through the sudo command. One method is by adding the compromised account to the sudoers file so they can be listed as a super user and allowed to run the sudo command. On the other hand, a horizontal privilege escalation would see an attacker gaining access to another user on the same system or network with higher privilege than the initial compromised account in order to gain access to a super user with higher level privileges. Though the exact details of the operating system used by the NASA Marshall Space Center are not known, Linux was and is still commonly used to run many back-end systems, including servers. But Windows was also a popular choice. From 1996 until December of 1999, Microsoft Windows NT 4.0 was used for workstations and servers around the world. A vulnerability reported on September 17, 1999, a couple months after Jonathan's attack, Rasmin privilege escalation, CVE number 1999-0886 could be the vulnerability Jonathan James used to hack into NASA, though not verified, but the evidence lines up.
Raspman privilege escalation was a vulnerability that allowed any authenticated Windows NT user to modify the path name for the Raspman binary. Rasma was the Windows Remote Access Connection Manager packaged with Windows NT 4.0, used primarily for accessing virtual private network or dial connections, establishing the connection and allowing information to be transferred. Whenever someone would run rasmin.exe, the computer would go inside the program and find out where the instructions are, usually stored in the Windows systems file. But the hacker would have changed the location of the instruction to a different location, so the computer would read malicious code instead of the actual Rasmin instructions, letting the computer run the Trojan, or the instruction the hacker put, with system-level privileges. This little adventure into NASA's Marshall Space Center gave the government agency a headache, as Jonathan didn't only breach government servers, but also gained access to source code belonging to a system aboard the International Space Station that controlled the physical environment in the living quarters, specifically humidity and temperature levels. Once the agency discovered the hack, a three-week investigation was launched that cost NASA about 40,000 US dollars, and several servers were disconnected for about three weeks. Jonathan would later argue that his primary motive with the downloaded source code was to investigate it, arguing the claims that it was worth 1.7 million US dollars by the government. A lot of attention was given to the fact that you downloaded software relating to the International Space Station. Could you have done anything with that? No. It was for the Environmental Control Program. Who wants that? You can play with the air conditioner or what? The code itself was crappy, certainly not worth 1.7 million like they claimed. The only reason I was downloading the source code in the first place was because I was studying C programming. And what better way to learn than reading software written by the government? After discovering the hack, NASA would pass the information on to the FBI. But it wouldn't be until Jonathan's hack into a vulnerable server in Dole's, Virginia, that would eventually lead to Jonathan's downfall. Evening of September 1999, a vulnerable server with a backdoor sits in Dulles, Virginia, until it was discovered by Jonathan, though it's disputed with claims by the Department of Justice that Jonathan himself installed the backdoor. An exploitable server that Jonathan would soon discover belongs to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, a division of the U.S. Department of Defense. A network scan is the process of using a computer network to scan for information regarding a computer system, such as open ports, network information, and vulnerabilities. This method allowed Jonathan to discover a backdoor into the government agency. A backdoor allows an alternative undocumented access into a server without authentication, a huge security risk for any server. Backdoors can be found in many ways, such as open ports in your computer, connection points allowing foreign computers to connect, a weak password or malware that a previous attacker installed. Though in this case, the details about the backdoor were never released by the government due to the nature of the vulnerability, and no official reports were done because there wasn't a vulnerability with the operating system, but rather the computer server itself. This backdoor in particular allowed anyone with an internet connection to access the server, perhaps an insecure SSH, secure shell configuration, which allows two computers to communicate with each other, allowing computer A to issue commands to computer B through a terminal, in a way allowing for one computer to not only communicate but remotely control the other computer, 
though with no evidence, it remains a theory. Upon gaining access to the server, Jonathan would install a sniffing program to intercept network traffic going through the server. A sniffing program allows this user to sniff or monitor network traffic in real time, analyzing all the data that passes from computer to computer as they communicate through a network without directly interfering or damaging the integrity of the data transmitted. A passive sniffing attack, if you will, involves using a sniffing program to capture information on the network, such as email, login credentials, and other sensitive data. This is exactly the information Jonathan would obtain during his time snooping in the network. Through this period of time, Jonathan would obtain credentials of several DTRA employees, allowing him access to 10 to 13 computers within the Department of Defense. Jonathan would also obtain other information, which included around 3.3 thousand emails of Pentagon employees. It was a cold January night, a knock at the front door of the James's residency. The FBI with a search warrant after having discovered Jonathan's exploits within NASA and the Department of Defense. But how did the FBI connect the dots between Jonathan and his exploits? How would you assess the skill levels of the law enforcement people who eventually came knocking at your door? Okay, they got lucky, because I didn't take any measures whatsoever to hide myself. I didn't cover my tracks at all, and had I done that, they would not have been able to catch me. If I wanted to, I could have hidden myself, but I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, so why bother? Jonathan's fatal mistake is never taking any step to hide his location through a proxy or a VPN, a mask that can help you hide and encrypt your computer communication, making it harder to track your location. As Jonathan would admit in the Frontline interview, his carelessness played a major part in not taking any precaution to hide or encrypt his internet traffic, though the exact method the FBI used to discover Jonathan would remain confidential. They haven't told me exactly how they caught me. They sealed the affidavit for the search warrant. They said it was sealed for national security or some BS reason. January 26, 2000. Agents from the FBI, Department of Defense, and Pinecrest Police Department would raid Jonathan's home, confiscating six of his devices, four desktops, a laptop, and a pocket computer from his house. The agents would spend some time questioning Jonathan, but due to his age and the nature of the crime, they were not sure what action to take. After Jonathan explained his process and apologized, the agents refused to make an arrest while the investigation was ongoing. It wouldn't be until July of 2000 that Jonathan on a vacation in Israel would receive a call from his father with the decision from the government, six months in juvenile detention. How does the prospect of sitting in jail for six months affect you? First of all, six months. While it's not as long as some other sentences, it's still a long time. And that's six months of me being surrounded by people that did these actual crimes. Did bad things to other people, to humanity. And I'm surrounding myself with these people that are lower than myself. Not to sound arrogant, but they lack morals. And it would be degrading to my character. And I'm worried. Thursday, September 21st, 2000. For immediate release, Department of Justice. Juvenile hacker sentenced to six months in detention facility. Case marks the first time a juvenile hacker was sentenced to serve time. 
The Justice Department announced today that a 16-year-old from Miami has pleaded guilty and been sentenced to six months in a detention facility for two acts of juvenile delinquency. Under adult statutes, those acts would have been violations of federal wiretap and computer abuse laws for intercepting electronic communications on military networks and for illegally obtaining information from NASA computer networks. In addition to serving six months in a detention facility as conditions of his guilty plea, Comrade will write letters of apology to the Department of Defense and NASA and has agreed to the public disclosure of information about the case. Due to his status as a juvenile, Jonathan would have remained anonymous. Only his pseudonym, Comrade, would be used in the press release. But his father, Robert James, disclosed his son's name after the guilty plea. I want people to have an accurate picture of my son and his misdeeds. The six months in the detention facility would be converted into seven months of house arrest. Along with the letter of apologies to NASA and the Department of Defense, Jonathan was also forbidden from using computers for entertainment, including hacking. Shortly after Jonathan would be arrested by U.S. Marshal Service after testing positive for drugs and violating the house arrest order changing the remainder of his sentence into prison time, six months in a federal prison in Alabama. The experience seemed to change Jonathan into a recluse, disappearing from the public eye after his sentence. January 17, 2007. A group of hackers led by Alberto Gonzalez would launch a series of attacks on major U.S. trade and financial organizations, such as TJX, BJ's Wholesale Club, Boston Market, Barnes & Noble, Sports Authority, Office Max, and several other companies. Alberto and his allies would steal upwards of 45.6 million credit and debit card numbers, among other personal information from millions of customers. Alone, that story would have no impact on Jonathan, who at the time was living a quiet life away from computer hacking. But during his younger years prior to his arrest, Jonathan would frequently communicate in hacker forums, befriending Gonzalez and several of his acquaintances. It was during the later investigation into the TJX story and Gonzalez that authorities discovered one of Gonzalez's allies ran with the pseudonym JJ, which authorities were quick to connect to Jonathan James, though it would later be revealed that JJ would turn out to be Jim Jones. The Secret Service would break into Jonathan James's home under suspicion though finding nothing except a rifle, a rifle that was officially registered to Jonathan, a mistake. Jonathan would suffer depression and episodes of anxiety following his prison terms. The constant attention and surveillance by the government only added on to his decaying mental health. The subsequent raid by the Secret Service would also serve to push Jonathan closer to the edge. Sunday, May 18th, 2008. Gunshot rings in the town, Pinecrest, Florida. Blood in the bathroom. A note nearby. Jonathan James found dead. His rifle by his side. <laughs> 